The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. Welcome to the show today. I'm so glad that you've joined us. I have a great guest today. Uh, and as you can see from the program title, we're going to be talking about uh, programming in cemeteries. And no, this is not just because Halloween is around the corner. In fact, uh, I have been fascinated with the breadth of uh, fabulous programming uh, that, uh, that are done in cemeteries across the country. And so I have with me today uh, Robin Simonton, who is the executive director of the Oakwood Cemetery in Raleigh, North Carolina. And Robin, thank you for joining us today. I, I'm hoping that uh, you are not in the midst of hurricane preparation. No, no, no. Um, it's, luckily, it's we're going to have some rain, but we're not going to have, hopefully, any, any wind damage. It's kind of avoiding us this time, so we're lucky. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, it's, uh, it is sort of a, a scary, scary day with Matthew uh, hitting the Atlantic coast, but I'm glad that you are safe and can join us today. Uh, Robin, I am going to ask you, as I ask all of my guests, to uh, share it with us your career path in your own, own words, and uh, because... I was just fascinated uh, by your background and how you ended up where you are today. So please. Oh, well, <laughs> oh of course. Thanks. Thank you. Um, well, um, I have always been fascinated with cemeteries, not in a macabre way. I always feel like I have to say that, but um, just in a historical way. Um, I've always, since I was a, a young girl, thought of them as a museum. Um, and I found ways as um, a young adult to incorporate my um, educational studies um, into museum um, and cemetery topics. Um, an undergraduate at the University of Hawaii, where I was getting my history degree, I um, worked with a local historian, a local cemetery historian in Honolulu that was doing research on um, Oahu Island uh, cemeteries, and I was the researcher on her book um, there. Uh, and then in graduate school, I worked with the Amish at Eastern Illinois University, um, and we I studied Amish culture, but, but specifically Amish burial culture, and so worked with the Amish casket maker and, um, and the hearse driver and, and all those interesting roles um, to learn how the Amish 
remembered those that have passed. Um, but I, I do have a bachelor's um, in history and a master's in historical administration. Um, but I ended up spending most of my adult life working at the Girl Scouts uh, in volunteer services and in girl programming. Uh, and even while I was doing that here in North Carolina, I was also developing Girl Scout programming here at Oakwood Cemetery. Um, we did events called Monumental Fun, and we brought in uh, junior and uh, brownie Girl Scouts to learn all about the history of women that were buried here at Oakwood. So I always tried to find a way to, to, to squeeze in some cemetery history throughout my career. That's fabulous. I, uh, so you, you are perfectly placed uh, to do the kind of work that you are, are doing now. I mean, obviously, your, your, your day job uh, is uh, being the executive uh, director of a cemetery, but you bring that knowledge of an informal learning and uh, community building through the Girl Scouts. How fabulous uh, that, that uh, interests and experience have joined together in this wonderful opportunity. Now, how long long have you been uh, at Oakwood? Um, five years in November. So I, I left the Girl Scouts in November of 2011, um, and, and I said I was leaving it for my dream job, and, and really for these past five years it, it has been a dream job. That's, that's fabulous. It's really, really interesting. Um, so one of the things, the intriguing things you said when you and I were uh, getting to know each other uh, in preparation for this show, you said that cemeteries are like museums. Now, some sometimes uh, you know when museums are getting a bad rap, uh, we could have a uh, say. Well, that's a negative uh, connotation. You know, museums being you know quiet and stately and no people or you know, no living people are there, uh, but you have a much more positive uh, uh, connection between cemeteries and museums. Could you share that with us? Sure. Well, you know, a museum to me is is a living, breathing thing. It's, and that's no pun intended, really. But it's you know, a museum has school kids clamoring in it, um, you know, docents with educational kits, and and just a way for people to learn in that non traditional classroom. And the cemetery is truly that non traditional classroom, that non traditional museum. We have we have artifacts. It may be our headstones that could be 150 years old. It, it could be the um, the 1890 receiving vault that we're restoring on our grounds as we speak. Um, and it's also the stories of the 25,000 people that are buried here. Um, and, and it really tells the story of your community. Any historic cemetery in any city in America um, tells the story of, of the community in which um, the cemetery is located, from the highs to the lows to the famous to the infamous. Um, to the, the the builders of the city, to the clergy of the church, um, a cemetery will capture all of that information in one location. And so you can literally take a walking tour around any cemetery, be it large or small, and learn the history of the town in which it's in. And, and it's a fabulous outdoor museum full of public art in many ways, some of these most beautiful historic or modern headstones, the trees. It's an arboretum. Um, a lot of these are historic trees or historic plantings. Um, and then the stories, the stories that, that no other museum um, can tell in one location quite like a cemetery can. Wow. Uh, that's, that is... Uh, I never... 
I never really quite thought about it that way. Uh, I will I will say, and I, I promised you that I would give my own little uh, yes. background. I have always enjoyed cemeteries. My my mother and mother used to take me there to picnic. Now you know that sounds a little strange, but my mother uh, loved crafts. And uh, so she was always looking for interesting pine cones, and there were the best pine cones in Toledo, Ohio, at the local cemeteries there. And so we would, she would, we would pack a little picnic lunch and look for pine cones. And it, as, as soon as you said it was an arboretum, of course it was. It was a beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful place. And uh, we talked about art, and we also. Talked about death uh, because I wanted to to understand it, and it's actually some of the most wonderful memories I have about uh, uh, my my uh, my mother uh, is is being in this wonderful place. And later on, when I was at uh, university, I would always always. Uh, Go to the the local little cemetery in Greencastle, Indiana, because it was such a pretty place to sort of rest and think and mm-hmm. not have anybody. Exactly. Exactly how they were designed to be. I mean, exactly how they were. They were designed before the picnicking that was very common in the 1860s in America. I mean, even up until even as far back as the 1830s, for folks to go in and picnic and couples to court. Um, some cemeteries had concession stands and um, ticket booths. It was it was entirely what it was designed to be. So you were just fulfilling that cemetery's mission. Wow! Wow! I so tell us. Uh, I. I guess I I had no uh, understanding of how you know the history of cemeteries, um, and you you identify that the Oakwood Cemetery is a a Victorian cemetery. Mm-hmm. Now, what's that distinction? Well, Victorian cemeteries or garden cemeteries truly is probably their more official name. <clears throat> really started in America in the 1830s, so a little bit before the Victorian era. Um, and they started um, because there were no city parks, and we were no longer burying our dead in America in graveyards, you know, creepy little places people thought that were unhealthy. We were moving our um, our burial places for our dead into what we were now calling cemeteries, which were places for rest, at rest, places that people could enjoy. They were the first parks of our communities. And the first one is outside of Boston at Mount Auburn um, Cemetery. And it had fountains and intentional landscaping, and, um, and it was a welcoming place. We were no longer fearing the dead. We were w- finding romantic ways to remember them. And that is really the history of any garden cemetery in America. They, you know, Oakwood is no different, except it's just a smaller scale than Mount Auburn, where we have intentional hills and winding roads and beautiful trees. And we used to have water features, but long filled in for grave space, um, except one little creek left. Um, but so these were all places that folks could go and enjoy art. And, and, you know, as we were learning about other cultures, ancient Egypt, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, through archaeology as the, as the years went by in, in the 1800s, we were making our obelisks look, you know, our monuments look like obelisks or sphinx or, or urns. Um, so they, we were really paying homage. And, of course, people would walk through them. Of course, families would drive their carriage through. It was, it was kind of an adventure to go and see the beautiful cemetery. And, and remember, we didn't really have city parks until, 
until much later. And so these early cemeteries, earlier than Oakwood, were really the first place. But even in Raleigh, Oakwood was here before the big city park was here. Um, and so they were supposed to be places you picnicked in. They were never supposed to be places you feared or you thought were, quote-unquote, dead. They were always supposed to be very lively. That. That is so interesting. Now, now help us understand a little bit uh, the relationship then uh, geographically was the, it, in Raleigh, was Oakwood at that time closer to the center of town or was it out in the country? How, how did they uh, select a site? Well, we um, were selected originally as a Confederate cemetery at two years after the end of the Civil War, which sounds like a weird time to be opening a Confederate cemetery. But we are eight blocks um, to the east of downtown Raleigh, um, but we were part of a plantation, so we were part of an oak grove in, a, in the Mordecai plantation, um, our land was. And when the Ladies Memorial Association in Raleigh in 1867 received the orders that our Confederate dead had to be removed from what was becoming a national cemetery where both Confederates and Yankees had rested. Um, The women lobbied the state for funds, received funds, and then somewhat fell in love with this beautiful oak grove and asked Mr. Mordecai for two and a half acres to create a cemetery. So it was considered outside of town, although eight blocks is not very far from downtown today, but it would have been a little bit more of a distance for them. Um, so still that healthier distance away from a downtown location, um, even though we weren't really thinking it was diseased anymore, it, these were not supposed to be in town, um, but still mm-hmm. convenient. And then they disinterred the 500 Confederates um, in 1867, and then two years later we were incorporated as a, as a cemetery chartered by the state of North Carolina um, because they realized that the city cemetery, which is much closer to the city center of Raleigh, um, was was considered full, and they needed a new a new burial location. That's that's very interesting. And so, of course, uh, when you talk about the history of uh, of the cemetery and as it parallels the history of Raleigh, I am sure that there is a great deal of information uh, about. Raleigh in the in uh, post Civil War times and and uh, uh, during the Reconstruction, uh, do you have any? I mean, I'm sure everyone is important at the cemetery. But do you have any famous people there? We do. We have seven governors of North Carolina, um, which is which is something we're very proud of being in the capital city. Um, we have U.S. Senator Jesse Helms, um, who is either is famous or infamous based on your political. Uh, sway, I suppose, um, and he served the U.S. Senate for 30 years. Um, we have Jimmy V., Jim's, Jim Valvano, who the Valvano Foundation is named for, but was also NC State's beloved head coach of their men's basketball team. And we have Elizabeth Edwards, Senator John Edwards' wife, um, who was an author and a lawyer um, and, and was a, a very strong political spouse for many years. Just yes. to name a few. Yes, well... Yes, and, and the history uh, that that can be uh, told through these people. Uh, uh, again, no matter your political views, but but they they all lived at very important times in history and uh, right. tell us a lot about ourselves. So you mentioned uh, earlier 
that you became a little in, you became involved with uh, the cemetery when you were working for the Girl Scouts and your your monument uh, or I guess monumental fun I like that name uh, but then when you became executive director of the cemetery really what were some of the motivations behind developing a more robust public program uh, project at uh, Oakwood well you know really when I when I started this position in November of 2011, um, we had been doing tours for over a decade at the cemetery, you know, monthly, a few times a year, you know, in the, in the warmer months, monthly. Um, and I know they'd had a photography contest. You know, programming in a cemetery is, one, to keep the cemetery active. And I don't mean just active in burials, but active in the fact that people know they can come in and visit. Um, they can walk through, they can exercise, so that, that it shouldn't be a place to be feared. And two, you know, so folks know that we are here to still serve families. Um, and, and so that's a, that's a dual role that sometimes, you know, most museums don't have that role of needing to sell grave space for their, for their income, but that's really how the cemetery, you know, functions is selling grave space. So part, you know, two, two roles there. But what I really realized was that we needed to become a better neighbor to the neighbors around us. So that would be the St. Augustine, Augustine University, um, the Oakwood neighborhood, which is the Victorian homes, as well as um, the greater community in Raleigh. And that was really the first thing I wanted to do was learn the neighbors, um, find out ways we could partner with them, um, you know, welcoming St. Aug's undergrads to the, to the college, to the, to the cemetery, I mean, to, to learn about the founders of their school who are, are buried here, um, and, and to find a way so that not just this generation but generations to come see the value of a cemetery. It wasn't very long into my career at Oakwood that I was standing at, um, at a graveside before a funeral came in, and two women were pushing strollers, and one of them looked to the other and said, this is a waste of space. Mm-hmm. And it bothered me. I mean, burial trends are changing. Um, we understand that. That's just the reality. But, but people's parents and grandparents and sons and daughters are buried here. And it, so that, I kind of took that very personally and decided at that point, that everything I would do would be to show that this, to this community that we were not a waste of space, that if we were not here, this would be high-rises and congestion. Um, and so the first program I planned was based on somebody who was buried here. We have the assistant to the founder of Mother's Day, Anna Jarvis is who the founder of Mother's Day is, but we had her teenage employee um, who worked with her to make Mother's Day a holiday, Madeline Jones Proctor. And so we celebrated our Mother's Day tea. It took me a few months to figure out how I was going to do it, but in May of 2012, we had a Mother's Day tea, and we invited the family of Madeline Jones um, and then mothers and women from around the community open invitation to come and enjoy lemonade and sweet tea at her grave and then to take a tour of famous mothers buried in the cemetery. And even though it was a rainy, cool May Mother's Day weekend, we still had a, a decent turnout for our first event and I began to realize that we could not, the only thing that would limit us would be the people who are buried here and with 25,000 people buried here and million different careers that rest here, we would never run out of programs and activities. Wow. That's a, uh, that, that is a, a really thoughtful way that every single 
individual has a great story to tell. You know, we always talk about objects in museums as each object has, you know, there's a great story behind it. But you literally have great stories of of humans that of, of human beings that that were in Raleigh that contributed in uh, big and small ways. I think that this is absolutely fabulous. Well, so, can, awesome. uh, can you share with us some of the other programs that you've been uh, doing? Sure. Well, we, um, we do First Friday Flashlight Tours. So just like a museum, we offer tours, but we do them at night. Um, that's a big thing. So you can come in with your flashlight and see the cemetery with a guided tour. Um, we, of course, as many typical cemeteries do, do a military event, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, things like that. Um, we've kind of kind of tickled our toes into the science world in the past few years, and we've participated in the North Carolina Science Festival, um, where we've had a theme, like the first year we did Cemetery Sleuth, and let kids measure headstones and um, measure the circumference of a tree, and, um, and be all to be able to solve a mystery at the end based on the history of the cemetery. And even we've used our grounds at night for the Science Festival to have a star party and to bring in... Um, the big telescope so that people could see Jupiter at night um, and things like that. So, you know, we, we base it on what we have. We partner with local churches and do church tours based on the, the history of their church. Um, we partner with local un- universities to do the same thing, to create programs based on the people that are buried there. And we actually partner with local museums. We did an event called um, Cure You or Kill You about medicine in the 1800s and had the Country Doctor Museum from Bailey, North Carolina, come in. And we talked about the people that are buried here and what their medical jobs were and then talked about the medicine that they perhaps would have given their patients. And they brought in... Um, uh, you know, creatures to do bloodletting and things like that so people could really see um, what it was like. So, um, so on-site, those are the types of activities that we do, anything from STEM activities um, to historical programming um, to, um, to just in individual tours based on certain themes. That's that's a fabulous fabulous uh, list, and uh, I'm I'm sorry I didn't know about uh, the uh, uh, about Oakwood and the wonderful things that you're doing when I was working down in Raleigh for the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences, uh, and they may be a great partner for you in in the future. Uh, uh, but I'm sure I'll be in Raleigh again soon, and I'll make sure that I I stop by. Before we continue on in our conversation, though, we're going to take one of our two short breaks, and when we come back, more with Robin about uh, the value of cemeteries in community, building community, and uh, I know she's going to give us some, some tips and ideas for other uh, organizations who might be interested in using their facilities a little more uh, uh, broadly. So stay tuned. We have so much more uh, to talk about. And uh, remember that you can always reach me at carol.bossert at verizon.net or on Twitter. My handle is at MuseWrite. And I always enjoy hearing from you. Uh, I've had several great conversations this week via Twitter with with uh, some of my listeners. Uh, so, so keep that up. That's a wonderful part of the program and the community that we're building here at Museum Life. So we will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Stay tuned.
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and I am talking today with Robin Simonton, who is the Executive Director of the Oakwood Cemetery in Raleigh, North Carolina. And Robin has been sharing with us the history of uh, cemeteries, the difference between a cemetery and, and one of those spooky, creepy, awful graveyards that, that we read about in books, and more importantly, the fascinating uh, kinds of programs that she has been uh, developing and promoting at, uh, at Oakwood. And I, I'm wondering how, Robin, is there a, an association of, I mean, how, how do you, you know, obviously you're very creative, how do you find your ideas and uh, network with others? Well, a lot of our ideas um, here at Oakwood come from other historic cemeteries around the country. Um, when I first got this job, my, my, my board chair at the time said, find peer cemeteries that you can learn from. And with the simple search of the Internet and social media, I found um, Elmwood in Memphis, Oakwood in Niagara Falls, um, and West Laurel Hill in Philadelphia, and of course, Hollywood in Richmond. Um, and folks that I could call, you know, we aren't competitors in the cemetery world, um, but all folks that somewhat think outside the box, no pun intended, and, and do cemetery programming um, at a fabulous level. So I tried to learn from the best. Um, every cemetery and every community um, has its own threshold of what the community um, is receptive to. I mean, this, while I consider this a museum, for all intents and purposes, this is still an active burial ground, and we still average four, four, or, five cemetery, four or five funerals a week. Um, 
And so, you know, you can't push the envelope too much outside of what people expect this place to be, and each community has a different threshold of what that is. But we all do learn from each other. Um, we all, we, some of us have a little Facebook group that we chat in on a regular basis um, to brainstorm ideas. Um, I try to take an annual trip each year to a different cemetery and see what they're doing around the country. Um, and, and we just keep in contact. And the other great thing about this little informal groups that we have is that we also cheer each other on, that we're very supportive of each other. Historic cemeteries, um, like Oakwoods, um, some of them have, you know, we all have similar challenges. Um, everyone always thinks these cemeteries are full. They think they can't come in to visit, you know. So we, so when we have a big success, we celebrate them together. So it's, it's a great, it's a great group that we, um, informally have that we really learn from each other and can take ideas and twist them to work into our communities. So I wouldn't have, have done anything if it hadn't been for all these folks that have helped us over the years. That's, uh, uh, that is so true, isn't it? That uh, we all need to, uh, to find our networks. I, and, and I'm, I'm surprised, although, you know, I, I suppose I shouldn't be, but, but uh, that there isn't a Stronger uh, cemetery uh, you know, interest group in say the um, AASLH, you know, the the National History Association, or even mm-hmm. the American Alliance of Museums. You know, there there seems yeah. to be such uh, uh, connections that we could learn from you, and you could learn you know I- ideas from us, and we there could be uh, stronger collaborations in, in communities. Maybe that's something that uh, that this this show or uh, some of the programming uh, that you're doing and your colleagues are doing might uh, might build this uh, uh, this segment of uh, of community. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great idea. To, I, never, I never even thought about partnering with the ASLH. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> but well, you're sort of busy. A great thing. Yeah, I'm a little busy at times. But. Well, I will. I will say, um, and I am. You're going to have to help me here because you know today, as I just told you, I'm sort of working without uh, some notes because of some technical glitches here in uh, in the studio today. But uh, there is a book, isn't there? A recently published book uh, called mm-hmm. Cemetery Tours and Programming. Yep, by Rachel Walgamuth, and um, she's on staff at, at West Laurel Hill in Philadelphia, um, and. Really, she came down to meet with me a few years ago. She started working on this book, and that's when we realized that there were even more cemeteries out there that either, A, were doing programming that we could all learn from, or B, um, could benefit you know, cemeteries that have been asking for help to, to be able to do programs. You know, not all historic cemeteries have staff, number one, you know, but, but maybe the city owns them or a church owns them, but that there was a real need for a, a book like this. And so um, many of Rachel's peers in the cemetery world help provide chapters or case studies, and I provided a case study on our science festival activities um, for this book. And it's, it's a book that I use on a regular basis. So even though, you know, we all have this little chat session that we can talk about, talk any day about what's going on in our cemeteries, I still go back to this, I kind of call it the Bible of cemetery programming, um, to get ideas and to how to face challenges that, you know, we may have that Rachel had already thought of. Um, and it is a great resource. Um, I know it was available at the AASLH um, conference recently. Um, 
And so it's, it's just a, it's a great book. There are not a lot of books out there. Um, cemeteries that are part of, like, the International Cemetery and Cremation um, Association, I don't have that acronym right, I, the ICCFA, they, you know, they can borrow ideas from each other on that larger of a scale, but most, cemetery, most historic cemeteries don't always have the funds to be able to join those, um, those large national industry um, groups. So this is a great way for anyone to be able to pick up this book from Amazon or wherever and, um, and learn what cemeteries can do, really the whole stretch of what a cemetery can handle. You know, I, I just find this so so uh, very interesting. I, I always think of going to historic cemeteries when I'm uh, traveling abroad. Uh, my husband and I were in uh, Scotland this past year for, our, for a, a holiday. And, of course, any time uh, you go into a historic city, uh, you, know, you visit the cathedral, you visit the museum, and often you visit the cemetery, partly because it's connected to the cathedral, uh, but mm-hmm. they, I think, uh, I, I found that, that uh, in the UK and, and in, uh, certainly in Paris, uh, they actually promote their cemeteries as being you know, places to you know, look at art. Also, very famous people are buried there. There are you know, great stories. It's too bad that we have not yet uh, come to that. I think... Uh, 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 international travelers or, or travelers to other cities could learn a lot about a city from its cemetery. Yep. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's the thing. You know, when, at the, when you're come to the visitor center in Raleigh, you do you can get a brochure for the cemeteries, um, and you can learn about the different historic places you can stop at. I think people in America are less open to going into cemeteries in general. They're afraid that they're going to interrupt a funeral, maybe. Um, and we don't have the same feelings on death that a lot of our European counterparts do. So some folks find it uncomfortable to be in cemeteries. They don't all feel like me being a tombstone tourist. A cemetery can be anything, I think, is part of it. Mm. Well, and then that gets back to uh, the the comment that you made earlier that there needs to be, or, or, or part of your job is to maintain a certain balance mm-hmm. of reverence, of respect, uh, and openness. Definitely. That's, you know, that's the big thing. You know, we serve families every day. A family comes in here that needs our, you know, nine to five job, I guess, you know, needs us for the most difficult times of their life. And so I can't have, you know, kids bobbing for apples in my front field when the hearse comes by. So you, you do have to balance that of what activities you can do, where you can hold them in a cemetery. Um, you know, we don't bury on Sundays, so that allows us to do a lot of um, public programs on a Sunday afternoon where I know I'm not... Um, I know I'm not going to have a funeral procession, um, but also Sundays are big visiting days for families. So, so it is just that balance of what can your community, I don't want to say swallow, but you know what, what their comfort level is in terms of what a cemetery can do. Although while I say I don't want to push the envelope, I have pushed the envelope. I've, I have held yoga in our front field for 150 people at dawn. You know, I've done... I've done activities, and we do have a 5K that runs through our grounds, the Day of the Dead 5K. Um, so, so we do have activities that some people may find as different, but everything we do, we try to historically link it back, you know, that this was a social place, that people came in here for these social activities. Um, 
you know, in the last centuries. And so, you know, we don't try to do anything disrespectful to the dead. We're not doing anything on their graves, um, you know, but we are, we are utilizing the history that we have to educate our own community and those that, those that visit. So it, it can be a challenge because if you've hurt one family or upset one family for not being able to let them in the grounds that day because a race is coming through um, or they don't appreciate the programming theme, um, then, then you have to, you know, figure out a way to make that balance work so that, because one family upset is one family too many in a cemetery. You know, they're already going through a tough time. The last thing you want to do is, um, is upset them or offend them um, in terms of the programming. But you can't please everyone. There's also that, you know, so... Um, so we balance it. My, I, have a, I have a board, and you know, the cemetery is a nonprofit, so I have a board that I report to that I work things through with and prepare them for to make sure that, you know, certain times of year, which, you know, maybe obviously in October we do a little bit more than we do any other month of the year that, you know, may be a little more controversial. So I prepare them and we brainstorm together ways to, to educate our families and communicate what we're doing to the families so that they're okay with what, with what we are doing on our grounds. That you know, I I missed that piece uh, that you are nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Cemeteries that, we're a nonprofit cemetery. Yeah. Now is that common? Of um, that can possibly be true for all cemeteries, but is that because you are are one of these historic cemeteries? Yeah, correct. His, more historic cemeteries are more likely to be nonprofit, either nonprofit cemeteries, which is a 501c13 based on the donation level that are it's allowed to be a tax write-off, um, or a, or have a 501c3 nonprofit arm for fundraising purposes. But typically, that you'll only see that in historic cemeteries. Okay. So now you don't charge. Do you charge for your pro, for these public programs? Oh, we ask for a donation of $5, but simply that a donation. Mhm. Mhm. Uh well, I it, you know, the more you talk, the more I'm uh, one of the challenges that uh museum many museums have, we talk about it on uh this show uh quite a bit is how museums can be uh, can be and remain responsive to their communities to become that sort of community uh, gathering place and and not to be frivolous, but it seems to me that the role that you have carved out and your your colleagues have carved out for these these uh, cemeteries is that you are the essential piece of the community. It's, uh, I mean, it's an ultimate gathering place, uh, again, not to be too frivolous, but it is also, the. it has a low threshold, uh, a low barrier to participate in the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have a big uh, uh, you know, architectural edifice that might be off-putting to some in the community, uh, mm-hmm. the gates open, so to speak. You really have a great deal to teach the rest of us about how to be that that main uh, community resource. Well, and for us, it's our survival. You know, we have as a not as a cemetery, we have to be here forever, um, perpetual. You know, that's the whole part of a cemetery, and so we have to find a way to see it, for folks to see our value, so that forever we will be maintained. And so I think maybe we feel 
a different urgency because forever is a very long time. <laughs> so yeah. we, we have to be neighbors. We have to have folks see our value, have folks come through our doors, promote ourselves, promote our history, promote our worth in the community so that folks know that this isn't a waste of space, that this, this is worth either donating funds to, worth coming to a program for, worth bearing your loved one here. Um, and so all those things come into play um, at a historic cemetery. Um, but you're right, all of us as you know, historic professionals in one way or the other need to remember that, that you know, we, we, we have to find these things that, that keep folks wanting to come, keep families being loyal to our site, whatever that site may be. Now, do you also have, do you uh, maintain uh, historic records or archives? I mean, do historians seek out uh, these Victorian cemeteries for their, their own uh, research? Well, yes. Um, some cemeteries have better archives than we have. Um, we're just in the process of making sure, you know, going through what historic documents we have. And many larger historic cemeteries have a better um, have a better system than us, but we have a volunteer archivist that comes in once a week and makes sure that we're protecting our documents and our original burial files, um, and we have a cemetery historian as well. But the documents that we, that we do keep you know, are our burial cards. Every person buried here at the, right after their burial gets a burial card, and the older ones tell us a lot more information than the newer ones. The older, will tell, older ones will tell us their next of kin and their last address and perhaps what interesting thing killed them, um, and in a little bit more about them um, than our newer burial cards, which are a little bit more uh, plain. Um, but still, you know, we have that. We have historic map books. And, and from our more famous folks, we have historical documents about, about them, perhaps. So we do kind of keep in archives, yes. Uh, and uh, just one, one more quick question to follow up on that before we go to break. Uh, are is that information available to uh, you know to anyone? I mean, to I mean, I don't think many people would want to come in and say, "Hey, let me look at all your cards." It'd be like going to a library and saying, "Let me see all your books." But uh, are, are can people consider? the cemetery let's say their you know their their family was connected with a with a certain cemetery or a certain town and they want to go back and do some uh, research about their their genealogy or the people in the community can they just come in and ask to see they this can. material folks folks come in um, ask for for to see their own family history they want to you know they're doing their own family tree and they want to see what information we have Genealogists come in and work on family genealogies here. Yes, yeah, so we're very open to letting folks look at our records and learn from from what the, what historical documents we have. That's good. That's great to know. Uh, and I'm going to file that away too for some of my my uh, my travels and my own uh, research about my family. Uh, this has been great. We are going to take our second break, and when when we come back, Robin is going to share with us some tips. Uh, and some thoughts and, and some processes for those of you who are listening who might want to uh, be thinking about uh, using your cemetery as a greater uh, community resource. And I would expect that some of these tips and ideas could be uh, taken uh, to heart by uh, historic homes and historic properties and all sorts of different community resources. So please stay tuned. We will be back in a moment. Uh, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back, and I'm here with Robin uh, Simonton, uh, the Executive Director of the Oakwood Cemetery in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we've been talking today about uh, how cemeteries are much more than uh, their obvious purpose, but that, in fact, they started out to be community uh uh, gathering places to re- literally uh, rest, relax, and refresh, uh, to commemorate their loved ones, but also to be in a beautiful place. And that is really what uh, Robin and some of her colleagues across the country are continuing in that spirit to provide uh, programming opportunities connected to the history of the uh, of the cemetery and well as well as the individuals who were buried there who can provide uh windows into understanding the the community and this particular cemetery of course was started uh at a very difficult time uh in the country's history after the the um the civil war Issues that we are still dealing with as a nation, I'm sure, come up uh, when when you look at some of the earliest aspects of that history. Uh, I was wondering, Robin, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but it, there's no secret that there has there have been uh, many discussions about uh, uh, con, uh, Confederate um, icons in uh, in the country. Uh, you know, talking about the uh, uh, the the hurts that are are still prevalent in our society. Have you thought about doing uh, programs uh, related? To some of those those earliest soldiers, or how how are you how how are you helping your community heal? 
You know, we, that's a very good question. And we kind of thought naively that we were out of the discussion of, um, of Confederate history and Confederate icons because we were a cemetery. And while folks may or may not think cemetery, uh, you know, Confederate icons belong in public squares or, um, you know, on, in universities, we, we thought here at Oakwood that we were a cemetery, the boys that fought for this war on either side are at rest and that, and that a cemetery would be a safe place to have, uh, you know, have, have these icons, so to speak. But then December 30th of last year happened and we had $30,000 worth of vandalism to those Confederate icons. Mm. Um, and we thought, oh my gosh, like we were thrust into this where, you know, private property had pretty much been safe until then. Um, and so as I went along, went across the media chain and, and speaking about the vandalism to all the local media outlets, you know, I said we, we would welcome a conversation. We now are part of this conversation um, where we had not been before. And, and, you know, we would be willing to host an event to have these conversations. We would much rather have a conversation than have to clean up historic monuments that will never be the same because of the vandalism. Um, and maybe we realized then that perhaps we should have taken a stand earlier to welcome conversations. I don't mean to have an opinion on it, but to welcome conversations um, to have protected our graves. Um, so we, we have not had those conver- have had programs about it, although we do a Confederate program every month, um, and we are very honest about um, these Confederate soldiers, you know, none of them were saints. No one is a saint on, on this earth. And so we talk about what they did right and, and what they did wrong. I mean, we've always been very honest about the Confederates here. Um, we don't judge them. I mean, it's 2016, but we do share their history um, for good and for bad. Um, and we thought that was a good enough conversation starter, that we weren't hiding that they were here. They're on all of our brochures, you know, seven Confederate generals. That's a big deal, you know, whatever. You know, so we're, but we, um, or three, I guess. I don't want to say we have too many. We have three Confederate generals. But, but we, we thought that, it was an, that that was enough. But, but then, sadly, when it happened to us, we realized that, that maybe it wasn't. And, and maybe we could have done more or done something differently. Um, you know, we're, we're not revisionists. We, we want to talk about the history the way it happened, like I said, the good and the bad. Um, but, but we were kind of caught off guard by the damage, the massive dam- damage done on our grounds. Um, so we, we've talked a lot about in the months since then, what can we do? And we continue to not hide our Confederate history. I mean, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for our Confederates. Um, but we also, you know, try to show the more complete version of history in Raleigh and not only the Confederate history. Uh, it's, it's a challenge that all Confederate sites have to deal with. Um, again, we kind of thought we were safe, that we could have just kind of been under the radar um, because we were what we considered sacred space and in a place not for those conversations. That, thank you so much for that, uh, for that honest answer. Uh, and I, I think you... You are not alone uh, in thinking that uh, you know this that you're, that this 
you were not part of the conversation. Uh, I, I think there are many cultural institutions that for one reason or another uh, have thought, well, that's not you know, that's not part of our collection or that's not part of our story. But I think that the uh, what your particular story illustrates as well is that if we are part of a community, if we hold uh, any piece of the historical narrative, we're part of that contemporary narrative as well. And so I, I'm I am appalled. It's so uh, very distressing to hear about uh, uh, vandalism, uh, any kind of, of violence. And you're right; things will never be the same uh, for those for those monuments, or perhaps for the memory of, of some of these these uh, uh, individuals. But I do hope, and it sounds as if you are still committed and open to having. Uh, open conversations and working with the community to find uh, 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 find discussions, discussion points, points of understanding, and uh, through those discussions find uh, uh, healing and uh, collaboration. So it, it again, uh, I am I'm very impressed with the with the efforts that you are taking. Well, thank you. You know. You, you... You don't always want to do things, but, uh, you know, we didn't want to jump in to the fray. But, um, but when pushed into the fray, um, you know, we realized we had to, to do something. So what are some tips that, as you say, that, that you, you know, when you became in, involved in this position, you, uh, your, your board uh, quite appropriately gave you great advice to find others. Uh, so... One, how could anyone listening um, uh, find you? And then what are some of the tips uh, and recommendations uh, that you can give others about, you know, if this is something they, they're thinking about doing, how would they go about it? Who would they talk to first? How would they uh, dip their toe in the water, so to speak? Okay. Well, you can find... Um me and, and Oakwood Cemetery at our website, um, Oakwood Ce- historicoakwoodcemetery.org. You can find us on Facebook, um, Historic Oakwood Cemetery Raleigh on Facebook, um, and on Twitter at Historic Oakwood, and on Instagram at Historic Oakwood as well. Um, my volunteers help me maintain many of those sites but for me. But, um, and, and we have a blog and things like that on our website, um, and, and you can email me through that website as well. Um, so that's a good way to reach me, and I'm always happy to help um, cemeteries um, with ideas and programming as I've been helped so much by others, and we're all in this together. Um, and, and like I said, none of us are competitors. We're all, we're all here to help each other. Um, but that's really the first thing to do if you're thinking about cemetery programming or if you're a museum and partnering with your local cemetery is to find um, a peer a museum that does this or a peer cemetery that does this. Um, a simple Google search will tell you, you know, what cemeteries do programs. Um, and, and then reach out to them. And I would say, as strange as it sounds, if you're a southern cemetery, find a southern cemetery first to, to talk to um, or a north, northeastern cemetery just because the regional differences, you may think they're not big, but they may be big. And, it, and it's important to, to consider that. Um, 
And then also, if you're at a cemetery or at a museum, you know, look to see the people in your community um, that either rest there or that the museum knows about already. Um, you know, like I said, you're only as limited as your imagination at a cemetery and as the number of people and the types of people that are buried there. Um, so we spend a lot of time doing research um, through Ancestry and newspapers.com and um, and find a grave from other places um, on people that are buried in our cemetery and other cemeteries that have a connection to us. I mean, you know, once we realized we had that co-founder of Mother's Day, I mean, we were like jackpot. I mean, she was just a kid. She was no Anna Jarvis. I mean, she worked for her, but, but, she, but it gave us an opportunity to have a conversation um, and to have an event and an activity around it. Um, and the other thing is cemeteries, they can... It's strange as it sounds. A cemetery can leave its own grounds. Like I take the cemetery on the road to the knife and fork circuit. I go to every activity, every Rotary Club meeting, give presentations. We were recently featured in a fashion show for um, a community nonprofit um, that we receive volunteers from. Uh, And so, I mean, there are ways to to educate your community that they don't even have to come onto your grounds at first. You can take the cemetery to them. Um, so that's a, always a great opportunity for folks to learn about your cemetery and the residents that are in your cemetery um, by a simple PowerPoint presentation. Um, what the main thing is is to, is to use your imagination. You know, what, who can you partner with? We partner with a local theater company every year, and they do a play of the people that are buried here. So really the opportunities are endless, and the help is out there um, from folks from around the country that have jobs like mine that, that are always willing to help and share ideas with. Well, that's, that's great advice, uh, again, and, and for cemeteries as well as other historic properties who want to uh, make people aware of the, uh, the information and opportunities that are available and connect uh, more fully with the community. Well, this has been, uh, this has been so fun uh, to talk with you, Robin. You have so many great ideas. You've also assured me that I'm not uh, warped or weird from my nope. mother taking me to cemeteries when I was young. In fact, she was a trendsetter, uh, yes. and she will be happy to hear that. I will let her know when Please I talk do. to her this weekend. <laughs> And it has been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for everything. And uh, we will be back next week with another episode of Museum Life. Uh, Remember, if you've missed any of the shows, you can always download a podcast 24-7 from my website, uh, carolbossertservices.com, as well as the Voice America Variety Channel uh, website for the Museum Life. And uh, please do their great programs, uh, great guests that I want you all to be uh, listening to and also then we'll give you an opportunity to have your own idea to come on the show. Uh, We will be back next week with another uh, program. So until then, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.